Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and today we're going to talk about the topic of religious diversity. Uh, we have several guests in the studio with us today. We have four, actually. Mary Catherine couldn't be with us, but I have four guests. Zineb Bistrabadi is here. She's a lecturer for Indiana University's Department of Near Eastern Languages and Cultures, a member of the Bloomington Muslim community, and she's a graduate of Bloomington High School North and Indiana University. Rabbi Mira Wasserman of Congregation Beth Shalom is with us. Byron Bangert, Presbyterian minister at large and one of the one of the founders of the Monroe County Religious Leaders Organization, is here. And Arja Rinpoche, the director of the Tibetan Cultural Center, is also with us today. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And I'd like to welcome all of you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Some, Thank you. Good some, to be here. Some are having return visits and some are here for the first time. Um, the timing of this show is probably uh, um, very interesting I mean, and I'm going to turn to Rinpoche first because uh, we had the death of Professor Norbu yes. um, who has been very instrumental in the, the uh, Tibetan Cultural Center and, and the community here. And I want you just to talk about um, his life and death a little bit if you could. And yes. Uh, professor Nobu uh, is a, a retired professor from IU, and uh, actually he founded the uh, Tibetan Cultural Center uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. So two two and a half years ago, uh, His Holiness Dalai Lama asked me uh, to work with his uh, uh, center. Then actually we had the new uh, missions like. Uh, you know, include that's Mongolian society. So that's why we changed the name. Now we call it Tibetan Mongolian Buddhist Culture Center. So anyway, last week, and fortunately, uh, he, you know, uh, just peacefully uh, passed away. So then uh, right after that, we uh, report this to His Holiness and His Holiness private office. And then office uh, actually uh, directly give that uh, uh, kind of uh, mission or duty to me and uh, in charge of everything. Also, uh, of course, the family. So then uh, the professor Norbu has family and wife and the three sons in the town. So that's why that's a private thing. We also, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> ask them to in charge that's personal thing. So uh, that's actually the, for his uh, death, you know, last uh, uh, few days we did the uh, Tibetan uh, Buddhist, uh, you know, traditional very uh, kind of funeral. So uh, that's uh, very – the ceremonies uh, went so well and uh, uh, he is, uh, you know, unfortunately passed away. But uh, uh, his elder and uh, very – uh, <clears throat> ill, like uh, so many years. So that's just one hand, like a blessing. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, talking about uh, his life a little bit, and in the 50s, uh, because the Chinese occupation, uh, then uh, he uh, escaped, and he was in the United States. So that time, <clears throat> his uh, idea is fight back the Chinese and uh, uh, searching for, you know, 100% uh, uh, you know, independency of uh, Tibet. So then uh, 60s, then His Holiness said that this is uh, not a really good idea. And then 70s, His Holiness decided to uh, uh, middle way approach, which is uh, uh, nonviolent and the discussion under this uh, Chinese, uh, you know, that's law and the uh, constitution, uh, searching for uh, uh, genuine autonomy. So that's uh, kind of a little bit complex, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, even though His Holiness, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama always say that personally, uh, that uh, concept or that point of view is a little bit different. But the goal is to uh, preserve Tibetan culture and uh, uh, introduce Tibetan Buddhism to the West. So actually, Norbu did that a lot. So that is a kind of accomplishment to his life. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit before we we leave this topic. Could you talk a little bit about the the ceremony and some of the uh, the beliefs and traditions behind the ceremony? Yes, yes. So, uh, actually, the Buddhist uh, uh, 
believe that uh, you know the life has uh, continuation. So uh, then this life and the uh, of course the past life and the future life. So uh, this life just like uh, uh, you know one. Uh, one period time in this time. So after that's a pass, then he is in uh, intermediate life, which we call bardo. Through that's a bardo, 49 days, and then we'll have a rebirth. So that is uh, our concept. And then, uh, of course, we did the fire puja, which means like, uh, you know, like uh, Tibetan Buddhist traditional cremation. Uh, we asked the permit from the governor and the mayor, and they're very sportive, and uh, uh, they give permission like that. And then we did uh, a very interesting stewbine back there, and uh, uh, lots of people gathered, of course, his uh, friends and students in Western society, and the Tibetans and Mongolians all gathered together. Then monks said prayers, and then uh, we did uh, his body as uh, like a like a Buddha statue, you know, then put in that uh, uh, special stupa and uh, uh, then we cremate it. So then uh, the the idea is after 49 days we say prayers, then he will have a rebirth. And then after one year, then we can find his reincarnation. So that is the idea to reincarnation, to continue, you know, uh, the hold that's uh, to preserve Tibetan culture and so on. So, mm-hmm. I, I want to turn to the rest of you because I think uh, this is a this week has been a good example of of how uh, religious and cultural diversity sort of um, affects Bloomington and how it, it really is part of the fabric of Bloomington and Monroe County. And I want to give each of you a chance to sort of respond to that and, and from what you've seen this week. Byron, let's start with you. Well, I was not able to go to the service uh, or ceremony. Um, it's clear that uh, the Dalai Lama has had a very profound influence uh, in the world and also in particular in this community because of the ties with uh, his older brother. And I'm grateful that we've had that connection. I was grateful to be able to participate in the interfaith service that was held last year when the Dalai Lama came and there was a, a service at St. Paul's Catholic Church. And that was a wonderful occasion. Um, more recently, this spring, a number of us participated from various faith traditions in a service at the Tibetan Cultural Center uh, in light of the military crackdown that was taking place in Tibet. Um, so I'm grateful that we have these kinds of ties and that we get a sense of the larger world and what's at stake for us in seeking peace together. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Mira? Well, you mentioned this week, so maybe it's a good opportunity to mention something that's been happening that got some coverage in the paper as well. But many of our congregations that are represented here today have recently been involved in a Habitat for Humanity interfaith build. Um, And uh, the house is up, and we're thrilled about that. And there will be a dedication this coming Sunday. So um, just another example of how our communities have come together mm-hmm. recently. Zainab? Um, for the Muslims, uh, the holy month of Ramadan, the month of fasting, uh, began last week. And uh, this brings us together with, um, well, we were going to have a breaking of the fast at the Tibetan Cultural Center this evening, but out of respect uh, for the passing away of Professor Norbu, we have postponed it, you know, perhaps to some other occasion. We have also uh, uh, broken bread with the uh, Beit Shalom uh, community also um, during this time. And again, it, it you know, the, the Ramadan falls within uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, the same thing happened last year and the year before, I think. And um, also, we... Um, we, for the last several years, we have been having a, a joint breaking of the fast or an iftar um, with the Unitarian Church, and uh, about 300 people show up to that. So it's probably one of the largest interfaith breaking of fasts, certainly, that I've ever attended. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers today, we're talking about uh, religious diversity in our community. Uh, our phone numbers are 855-0811 and 877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And uh, this email is uh, what we've been talking about is a good segue into this email because it just says, uh, first question, just tell me what you think is the big picture about religious diversity in a town in the middle of southern Indiana. 
Um, and then there's some follow-up questions. How do you think the local schools do with handling a religiously diverse population? What do you think could be done to increase people's knowledge of religious diversity in our town? And what is the goal of the Monroe County Religious Leaders Group? So there are, th there are three sort of broad, big questions. But let's start with this whole issue of uh, – let's start with, this, with the schools. How do they do in the big picture? Um, Byron, do you want to – Well, uh, let me take a stab at that. Uh, Monroe County Religious Leaders actually invited uh, two of the superintendents of public schools, uh, MCCSE and Richard Beanblossom, to meet with us, uh, oh, maybe – uh, end of last year, I think it was, about eight, ten months ago. And it was because we were concerned about what we see as some of the challenges that religious diversity and other kinds of diversity pose uh, in the public schools. Um, we hear reports um, not infrequently about bullying and name-calling and other kinds of stereotyping of students of a particular religious background. And what became clear from those conversations with the superintendents is that this is an ongoing challenge in which they are deeply involved on a day-by-day -day basis. Um, it's something that was beyond even what we had uh, encountered uh, in secondhand reports and, and through our religious communities and so on. Um, it has to be worked at all the time. There are religious divides not only among faith traditions but within faith traditions. And I think maybe some of those divisions within faith traditions are some of the most most difficult to deal with because um, you have in Bloomington a, a huge diversity and more so in probably most communities of this size, uh, which is – which on the one hand uh, is um, – makes for the possibility of interfaith relations of the sorts we've been talking about here for a few moments. On the other hand, you also have a kind of cultural divide between those who have uh, different views on social issues, the so-called culture wars. So Bloomington is quite divided when it comes to the kinds of cultural issues, um, abortion, uh, gay and lesbian and trans bisexual and transgender rights, um, other kinds of sexual morality kinds of issues, um, even the issue of war. I mean I think these are, these are issues where we end up with fairly significant cultural divides within religious tradition, traditions as well as across the traditions. Mm -hmm. Mira? Um, within the schools, I think it's a real mixed picture. Uh, some of the schools and um, some teachers have been just exemplary in reaching out, working hard uh, to include kids of diverse religious backgrounds and also making sure that what kids learn in the classroom prepares them for encountering people from a variety of backgrounds as they go forward in life. Um, it's still hard, I know, to be a Jewish kid uh, who's the only Jewish kid in a class or even in a school, particularly at holiday times. Kids from minority backgrounds, our own holidays don't correspond necessarily to the Christian calendar that most people are familiar with. And um, so there's sometimes not sensitivity that we're in a holy season and kids might need to miss school or not do homework. And on the other side, when um, Christian holidays come around, there's sometimes a presumption that all kids will be getting presents or participating in festivities. And that's, that's not the case for little Jewish kids or Muslim kids. So that's something that parents uh, engage teachers and principals on uh, all the time. And for the most part, people are really responsive and sometimes we need to have more conversations. Say mm -hmm. no. I, I would agree with, um, with Mira, but um, I have to say I think it was three or four years ago that uh, the school system had some kind of very large um, event, a workshop type thing for uh, parents, administrators, teachers and students. It was a huge event at um, Bloomington High School South and I was invited uh, to speak. So I, I do think while there may be problems occasionally, um, I think the school system is, uh, is very much aware and, and uh, wants to you know, educate uh, everyone about diversity and how to deal with diversity, particularly religious diversity. Mm -hmm. I'll give Rinpoche an opportunity yes. to respond as well. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, I agree. Uh, other guests said those things. Uh, uh, particularly that's a school system uh, I ha haven't been you know participated yet 
but uh, uh, when I was in Tibet, you know, uh, I know a little bit the uh, uh, Western, you know, religion and the philosophy and the culture a little bit. And then uh, 1998, some political issue, then I have to escape. Then I escaped. I was in California. So California is a more uh, open and liberal place. So uh, then... Uh, uh, two years ago, then His Holiness asked me to uh, uh, to go to the Indiana to work. Then I thought, oh, this is maybe very different. So actually, uh, when I uh, come here, then I I find out, you know, people are town very friendly, very open, very liberal. You know, then uh, also uh, the, some guests mentioned that you know last. Uh, year we had that interfaith program. Uh, so I guess the uh, school system is wonderful. Education, I guess, is very uh, important. So we have to, you know, uh, we need, we are searching for peace. So the peace from inner peace, actually. The inner peace uh, based on the loving kindness and uh, uh, compassion. So that's the kind of education uh, when, you know, the kids are young, we should uh, uh, let them to aware uh, that's so. That's why I guess those are wonderful things. Of course, our culture and the background are a little bit different. There's lots of things to do. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I want to go to Byron because there was another question that I think mm-hmm. you could answer, and, and I know Mira could talk about this too. What is the goal of the Monroe County Religious Leaders Group? Well, fortunately, I brought along our current mission statement. Uh, formally, we are to advocate for the religious principles of mercy, peace, social and economic justice, and stewardship of the earth. Um, to expand on that a little bit, we are interfaith. We have people from Jewish, Muslim, Baha'i, um, the Tibetan Cultural Center, uh, Protestant and Roman Catholic and Unitarian and other traditions uh, who participate actively in our group. Um, those who do, for the most part, do that out of a social justice commitment or perspective that they understand to be inherent in their religious tradition. This is certainly so for the three major so-called Western religious traditions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Uh, but with the emphasis on peace in, in Buddhism and, and in other religious traditions, I think there's a, there's a congruence there as well. And uh, so we have a whole list of, of issues that we have tried to address out of a, out of a concern that we believe our, our God or that which uh, enlivens us to worship um, calls us to be concerned about the world and the conditions of the lives of people in the world, and that's a social justice dimension. Mm-hmm. Mira, your uh, your 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 interaction with that group, and you know what's it meant, what's it meant to you, and what do you hope to get from that group? Yeah, um, well, it it actually came to life about four years ago when. Um, Members of Beth Shalom came to me and they were concerned that what was being called religious issues or values issues in the press around the last election didn't seem to embrace our religious tradition and our commitment to social justice, concern for the poor, for the rights of women, and for peace. Uh, and at their invitation, we invited a variety of religious communities to join us and talking about how we might make a difference and reclaim as values issues topics like war and peace and justice for poor people. And so for me, and I think for members of my community, this has been a way to enlarge our voice so that we're not lonely in our concern and pursuit of these things, but find that we have really good friends and neighbors to find common cause with and to work together with as activists. All right, our phone numbers again, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, you know, all of you work so well together, and, and I guess this is this is the big, broad question. It seems like a lot of uh, – when you look at things happening on the international stage, there's a lot of strife, a lot of conflict that seems to have religion um, as part of its base. Um, can anybody give me a, a brief history lesson, or, or, or tell me what you know? What can we do here locally to try to to um, address those much larger issues and differences? 
Can I jump in? And it seems to me that Byron said something that's really on the money in talking about uh, religious diversity and conflict that often the most prickly and difficult conflicts are not between religions but within religions. Uh, I think that's borne out somewhat. Uh, I always find it easy to talk to the people around the table today. But there's some real conflict uh, within each of our religious communities, I think I think it's fair to say. Nothing like what would make a newspaper. But I think the really hard issues are the ones we have with the people who are closest to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with Mira on this. I absolutely mm-hmm. agree. And I find that most of the conflicts that are couched in religious terms actually have absolutely nothing to do with religion and are either about politics or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, take, for example, the, uh, the, uh, the war in Ireland. It, it's always been said to be Protestant against Catholic, but uh, it's not. Mm-hmm. Or that the, the, um, the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict is between Jews and Muslims. I would take issue with that. I would take very big issue with that. Mm-hmm. So it is, uh, that, that is about uh, – it's a conflict about land. It's not about religion. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't uh, – not in today's world. I really don't think it's, it's about religion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me comment a little bit further about that. Um, it, this is – you've asked a terribly complex question. I mean in terms of what we can do, we're trying to do it through Monroe County religious leaders and other cooperative ways that, that interfaith uh, activities take place. But um, the notion of a culture war, which I think is – not just something that we experience here at home and in, in the United States, but something that we're experiencing around the globe, um, suggests multiple dimensions of differences among peoples. And religion is a, is a part of culture and a very significant part of culture. But then you have other kinds of uh, elements, you know, the way in which a political society is structured, the, the economic history and, and practices and so on. So you get these differences – uh, where religion becomes appropriated or exploited, co-opted often as a as a motivating force and a part of the culture for some kind of conflict that's much larger than whatever the religious differences might be. All right. Well, we've hit halftime. It's uh, we've already gone through half the program, and, and this is going to go very fast today. So I hope that people who have questions or comments will phone us or email us. Um, we're talking today about religious diversity in our community. Let me run through our guests again. Zainab Estrabadi is a lecturer for the Indiana University Department of Near Eastern Languages and Cultures, and a member of the Bloomington Muslim community, as well as being a graduate of both Bloomington North and Indiana University. Rabbi Mira Wasserman of Congregation Beth Shalom is here. Byron Bangert, Presbyterian minister at large and one of the founders of the Monroe County Religious Leaders Organization. And Arja Rinpoche, director of the Tibetan, Mongolian, and Buddhist Cultural Center is here with us today. Uh, You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. Listening to Noon Edition on member supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332 2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington www.southdunnstreet.info WFIU thanks all who support public radio. Next time you're visiting one of our business supporters, please let them know that you appreciate their support of WFIU. Perhaps you're involved in decision-making at a business or profession in the WFIU listening area. If you'd like your message to reach WFIU listeners, you can find out more about benefits of underwriting with a call to 1-800-662-3311 or a visit to our website at wfiu.org. All right. Welcome back to New Edition. We were having a, quite a conversation off the air until we came back on the air. <laughs> and I want to, to uh, again mention our guest, Zainab Estrabadi, 
um, who is in the Bloomington Muslim community, Rabbi Mira Wasserman of Congregation Beth Shalom, Byron Bangert, Presbyterian minister at large and one of the founders of Mon- Monroe County Religious Leaders, and Arja Rinpoche, director of the Tibetan, Mongolian, Buddhist Cultural Center. If you have questions or comments, phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We have uh, lots of different topics we can we can talk about. I do want to acknowledge um, – September 11th was yesterday, and I know that um, there have there have been issues, at least worldwide, um, in regard to the Muslim community. I think there's some um, concerns often within the Muslim community about treatment from people who are not in that community. I know I was at a meeting probably within the last year or 18 months with some Muslim leaders in, in Bloomington about some issues that had come up in letters to the editor and some things that, that had happened. So Zainab, I just wanted to ask you about uh, what's the certain – or the, the current sort of atmosphere and environment. Um, honestly, the, the atmosphere has been one of um, tremendous support. That is – there's only been um, one incident I think or maybe two incidents um, involving the um, – the, the the property of the mosque itself, and this was three or four years ago that somebody uh, threw some kind of gasoline uh, uh, a bottle mm-hmm. into into the mosque with the, I guess with the hopes of of burning it down, and uh, it was put out very quickly. And then there was this tremendous um, outpouring um, of support from uh, the Jewish community, from from the Christian community. I mean, I, I could name various churches and all, um, um, people basically gathered and walked from their places of worship and and they all uh, congregated um, uh, at the mosque. It was a very, very, very moving uh, and touching experience for us um, who I think until that point had been feeling a little besieged and um, – but not since – because um, of the the uh, loving uh, outpouring of support, mm-hmm. all right of of the Bloomington community, without exception. Right, that's good. Great. Okay, I have a, another email that came in, and this one um, says. My upbringing in central Indiana in the 1950s and 1960s was pretty isolated and conservative. I love Bloomington and its diversity and love getting to know about all the cultures. But I'm always fearful I might say the wrong thing or ask the wrong question. So this questioner says to you, what do each of you find is the, is the uh, innocent insensitivity, uh, for lack of a better term, that you hear most often about your religion? Do you understand this question? People. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have any? No. Okay. I don't understand. Oh, okay. I understand the question. <laughs> I think the question is basically that um, this is somebody who grew up in conservative Southern Indiana and and might want to come up and talk to you, but it's afraid that that he or she might say the wrong thing oh, because of insensitivity to your culture. Do you? Have people that, that no, say things that you – No, maybe uh, people might ask uh, – that's a very interesting question. I would like to give a little bit of comments. Uh, uh, front of uh, – you know, uh, in front of our uh, center has a uh, um, little church, you know, Catholic church, uh, uh, like a Protestant, I guess. You know, I, I'm not sure which school it is. But uh, uh, one lady from the – uh, church uh, to our center and uh, prayed like that. And then after all of them, uh, then she said, oh, uh, I thought you were worshiping like uh, idols and uh, devil, uh, devils like that. So in fact, not. So I understand like that. So that's, 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 uh, that was her, her comment and then she left. Uh-huh. So anyway, I guess the interfaith uh, program here we're doing that's very important. Uh, when I was in China, Chinese government always say the religion and the political have to be separate. But actually, you know, they're using religion. Uh, uh, for instance, myself as a high lama in Tibet, so I also holding many political positions. So sometimes I have to say something I don't want to say. That is uh, uh, the you know by their political purpose, like uh, so and so. Uh, but anyway. Uh, 
I I have been here in the United States. Also, United States emphasized this too. You know, the church and the states is separate. Uh, actually, that's uh, that's just the right thing. But uh, I don't think really separate. Uh, sometimes a little bit separate. Sometimes uh, always combined together. So. Uh, my understanding is all religion has very wonderful uh, faith and uh, understanding. For instance, Buddhists always emphasize compassion. So that's compassion no matter your friend or your enemy. You have to be a compassionate. Uh, the Christian and the Catholic or all uh, emphasize this love. The Muslim and the other tradition like uh, peaceful and the peace and uh, so on. So all of the concepts, there's no... Uh, conflicts, but the religion used as a tool, then different. Uh, if I'm a, a bad person, I use a religion to start war. I can do. So that's why uh, the September 11, you know, uh, yesterday was the uh, seven years anniversary. So I was remembered that. So after that, had the, uh, you know, uh, almost uh, uh, continuing war in the uh, Middle West. So uh, I was very, you know, sorry for that. And uh, that's a sad thing. Uh, I think that all religions should work together. Uh, and uh, uh, religion as a tool for peace, not for war. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just my uh, kind of comments. But uh, uh, anyway, for your question, you know, anybody want to ask any very strange question or whatever, <laughs> then I always welcome. Do you find that people will walk up to you? I mean, you... you... Uh, Sometimes do, a little mm -hmm. bit. <laughs> so uh, otherwise, no, not really uh, difficult questions, but sometimes people are asking a little bit strange questions mm -hmm. too, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think the best thing really is is to ask. You know, when um, when we first came to this country as immigrants in 1970, and we settled here in Bloomington, um, you know, I went from from belonging to a so-called majority culture to a minority, whether religious, cultural, mm. language, otherwise. And uh, the best thing really is to simply ask if one isn't sure. I mean, the, the first time I, I walked into a church, I asked, what, what should I do? What is the proper way of entering into a sanctuary? Um, I also asked the first time I walked into a synagogue and so on. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with asking. Um, but getting back to your question, I think the thing that disheartens me the most is when um, – when I run into people who think um, that Muslims worship an idol called Allah, uh, first of all, it is Allah, um, which is God's name in Arabic. I mean, I cannot help it if my mother tongue is Arabic. If I were French, I would say Dieu, and, or if I were Spanish, I would say Dios. In Arabic, it is Allah. In Aramaic, the language that uh, that Jesus spoke, uh, he would probably would have said Allah. And then in the Torah, there is uh, Elohim and there is Eloah. So they all sound the same. They're from the same root. So cannot people realize that Muslims worship uh, whoever, you know, Moses fell on his knees and, and, and uh, put his forehead on the ground. Whoever, you know, he, whoever Moses worshipped, whoever Jesus said my father, referred to as my father, we worship the God. He is the only God we believe anyway. Uh, we don't worship the moon god, contrary to what Pat Robertson has said. And um, there's only one god. It's the god of Moses, Jesus, Abraham, and Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody can figure out who that is. I'm not <laughs> going to tell them who it is. <laughs> Mira, any response to this question? Um, yeah, I think people can't go wrong in asking questions. I think it only seems insensitive when um, people presume – that um, they know something that I don't know and that I should know. Or worse, I guess, is that they believe something that I don't believe and should believe. So that should. And sometimes people very generously, very graciously uh, understand themselves to um, be helping me in sharing their experience and their faith. And um, that's a hard situation because I I'm, I'm pretty— clear on my faith being right for me. Um, 
so I appreciate the graciousness and the caring, but I'm not going to change my belief system. Mm-hmm. So, Byron, any response? Uh, well, yes, I'm a Christian, and so as a member of what is really the dominant religious tradition in our culture, this uh, listener's question probably doesn't apply quite as much to me. I mean, people are usually concerned about you know, miscues or mistakes in how they think and act toward people of other religious traditions. Uh, but I'd say two things. One, uh, Christianity itself is tremendously diverse. And so um, just because you know some things about Christianity doesn't mean you know about a particular Christian tradition. But the larger or, the, or maybe the more pointed uh, response I could give would be the thing that troubles me most is people who assume that there's some profound and radical difference between reason and faith uh, and that if you're a person who's religious, you're not rational. Uh, I encounter this uh, not infrequently um, in, in subtle ways. I mean there's just a presumption that you that, that if you are really – rational, intelligent person and you've got it intellectually and together and so forth, you're probably not going to be religious. And I think that that's a, a rather offensive uh, perspective. Um, and you know, each of us has ways of working out how we think about the world and how we reason about the world that we find to be compatible with our faith. Mm-hmm. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. We still have about uh, 15 minutes left in the program. Um, there was a major survey done by the Pew Research Center's Forum on Religion, religion I'm sorry, and Public Life uh, that's going to, I think, follow along pretty well to what we're talking about today. Um, it said that most Americans have a non-dogmatic approach to faith. The majority of those who are affiliated with a religion, for instance, do not believe their religion is the only way to salvation and almost the same number believes that there is more than one true way to interpret the teachings of their religion. Um, how do you respond to that? This seems to be, according to the Pew Center, this is uh, a majority of people believe that way. Yet if you read the popular media, um, including my newspaper, you probably wouldn't recognize this. <laughs> Um, any response? Mira, do you have a response? Yeah, I find that very reassuring, actually. Um, and I think it's important to remember also that um, there are religious traditions that are non-dogmatic. So that shouldn't surprise us, actually. It is a teaching of some of the religions um, that there are multiple paths to the good life, to righteousness, to holiness, and to the afterlife. Um, but I think that kind of attitude is uh, a hopeful message that we can really uh, learn to get along. Mm-hmm. Byron, I'm not quite sure what to make of the of the <laughs> evidence or the the, the survey research. Um, certainly, you find a lot of movement, let's say, within Christianity among denominations. Uh, this increases, so you know, maybe 50 percent of the people who are joining one of the downtown Protestant churches in Bloomington might come from some other Protestant tradition other than the particular denomination uh, of the church they're joining. Um, I don't see huge leaps, though, being made by most people in terms of the kinds of moves that they make. Um, A lot of people at this point have given up dogma. I think um, Mira's point about... There are religious traditions that don't emphasize dogma. There are also a lot of people within even churches that do have a, a doctrinal tradition who have decided they want to be spiritual. They don't want to be religious or whatever. And by spiritual, they, they, they want to have some kind of sensitivity to what they consider to be the ultimate um, meaningful dimensions of, of life, the spiritual world or whatever. But they really don't want to buy into all the, the creeds or the dogma and teaching. Uh, and so they're troubled by the institutional forms of religion insofar as they emphasize these these dogmas. Mm-hmm. I may get back to this question, but we have a phone call. So let's go to the phone, and Wayne is on the line. Wayne? Hi. I want, could I ask two quick questions? Sure you can. First question. Is it possible for a person not to have a religion, for a person not to be religious? If, if you assume... That religion is the is the guiding assumptions, the the unproven assumptions by which we form our values. 
Can there be anyone without religion? First question. All right. Anybody want to respond to that? Uh, I think I know the caller, and let me try and take a shot at this, Wayne. Um, if you're a student of religious studies, uh, there's always this this uh, question that exists within the tradition, or I mean, within the the, the scholarly field. Um, what is it that constitutes religion? And there are those who want to argue that there, there's just no way <laughs> to define religion. And you sort of have to do a phenomenological approach. People who call themselves religious are religious or whatever. I mean, there are, other, there are others who want to say, well, if it, if it has these characteristics, if, you're, if you can be highly enthusiastic about it, if you can commit your life to it, if you can spend all kinds of time and money at it, well, then maybe it's religion. I mean, like sports, for example. You know, in Bloomington, there are a lot of people who go about sports as if it was a religion. And some people would be probably willing to say from an anthropological perspective, sport is a religion. Um, I don't know really how to go any beyond that in terms of trying to answer the question. Uh, Paul Tillich was a Protestant theologian who said religion is our ultimate concern and that he was in a Lutheran tradition and that was actually fairly similar to something Martin Luther said. Um, so that which concerns us ultimately and claims us ultimately might be one way of thinking about it and if that's the case, then many people who might say they don't have a religion probably implicitly do. Rinpoche? Yes. Second, second question. Oh, wait, just a second. Wayne. Uh, Rinpoche has yes. a response. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. So that's reminded me something last uh, week. Somebody asked me uh, how many percentages uh, philosophy in Buddhism and uh, how many percentages of uh, ritual thing in uh, your Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Then I uh, oh yeah. Then I thought that's a good question. Then I said uh, seventy percent of that's philosophy and the thirty percent is ritual. Of course, you go to a Tibetan temple, you have. Uh, uh, very fancy, beautiful altars and uh, so on. So, but uh, the idea is, uh, His Holiness Dalai Lama always said that uh, if you come to my uh, teaching or something, you know, you can keep your tradition, wherever you are, uh, Christianity or Muslim or whatever or non-believer. So our uh, approach or our teaching is, uh, <clears throat> you know, concerned people, human beings, are be a good person, not to be be a Buddhist or something. So that's why uh, my uh, response is uh, the uh, wherever you are believer or non-believer, uh, you can uh, learn different traditions and uh, take uh, the good essence from the uh, different traditions to uh, our life. So this is uh, kind of my answer. Okay. All right, Wayne. So, may may, may, may I give much. a very short oh, answer oh, from a different perspective? Sure, okay. Um, in our holy book, the Quran, it says that uh, the whole of creation praises the Almighty. So uh, everyone, there are people who are praising God and they are aware that they are praising and there are people who are praising God who are not yet aware that they are praising him. All right, Wayne, question number two. Second question. The, the New York Times, Times published a full-page adverti advertisement just, just prior to 9-11. Now, I heard about this ad. I did not see it. But I know that it featured a, a, the New York skyline showing the New York skyline with the Twin Towers then showing an, another picture, showing the New York skyline conspicuously without the Twin Towers, and the caption was, The Effect of Religion. And it was sponsored by the Freedom From Religion organization. Please comment, and, and I'll, t I'll take my answer off the air, please. All right, Wayne. Thanks. Byron, do you have a comment on that? Do you, do you, are you aware of that? Uh, I'm not aware of it, but I, I regard it as most unfortunate. Um, um, I don't know whether we want to go where I would want to go with this question or not, but since I don't – I'm not convinced at all that the story we've been given about 9-11 is true and I'm not convinced at all that, it, that there were Muslim terrorist hijackers who were primarily responsible for 9-11, that makes this ad even worse. I mean the presumption behind it is that you've got fanatical Muslim terrorists who are responsible for 9-11. I reject that. OK. Anybody have any other 
Reaction, Mira? Yeah, I guess my reaction, I mean, I think it is unfortunate. And I saw religion at work in the response to 9-11 where people poured out of their homes and um, found solace with each other. I think um, religion and God was there as people responded with lots of acts of bravery and courage and above all with compassion. So that's where I find religion. We have another caller, um, but I want to mention this since you brought it up. There's another – major report, and again from the Pew Center, it was done in 2002, that said the majority of Americans believe the lesson to learn from 9-11 is that there is not enough religion in the world versus there is too much. So that was another... Well, if, if I may, Bob, I mean, these, these uh, criminals um, were, were born into Muslim families. Um, but I do not find what they did on uh, September 11th, um, 2001, in which, by the way, um, I lost a friend um, who, who was a Pakistani and a Muslim. Um, I do not find what they did to be motivated by religion. In fact, I would say that these are probably the most irreligious people that one could possibly come across because there is nothing, nothing in Islam that justifies the taking of the lives of innocent people. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to the phones and uh, Jeff is on the line. Jeff? Well, I'd just like to quickly say that I w- was very happy to hear uh, the gentleman say that uh, he believes that uh, we don't know the full story behind 9-11. After reading the book, uh, The New Pearl Harbor, I have a uh, uh, a profound respect for my ignorance as to what really happened. But that being said, uh, the reason I called is I'd like to uh, ask the panelists if they could, uh, any of them, feel comfortable commenting on the, their uh, uh, their perception of, of their own faith uh, as as it relates to the concept of certainty. I mean, is it possible to have complete faith? in your beliefs, and, and believe them, uh, obviously, and still admit in, in that same brain that believes those, those tenets that you are human, and part of being human is that we are not God, we are human and can err, and we have limited powers of perception and understanding, and maybe we are right, and maybe just as possibly, although not invalidating our beliefs, Maybe just as possibly the person who has a different faith, maybe they could be right too. I mean, is it possible to to think that maybe in some respect we're all right if if we're if we're uh, if we believe and it and it makes sense for our lives, it helps us guide our lives to be good people and to interact in lovingly and in a cooperative, compassionate sense with other people. If the details are different, maybe we're all right at, in a sense. Is that is is is, is that a, too much of a duality, or I'd like to know that maybe some of the panel's thoughts on that? We will get their thoughts. Thank you very much for the question. Who, who wants to start? Uh, I'll be very quick. I personally, and here now, I'm I'm speaking for myself. I have absolutely no problem uh, with what the gentleman just said, and um, I can back my belief with verses from the Quran. So I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that actually resonates a lot with my own religious life. I think part of being religious for me is acknowledging my smallness and anything I believe in is going to be a lot greater than my understanding. And uh, I presume that other people and other cultures and religions have answers that I don't. Mm -hmm. I would second or third what Zainab and Mira just said. Um, And maybe it's helpful to make a distinction between certitude and certainty. I do not have certainty really about much of anything. Uh, certitude is a kind of more of a conviction about the, the fact that my experience doesn't completely lead me astray and that I do know enough about the way things are in the world that I can act and live and do so with, a, with some level of confidence but never with the kind of certainty that I don't give up questioning and, don't, and, and completely disregard or never want to hear an alternative point of view or anything of that sort. And Rinpoche, you've addressed this a little bit already in the program. Yes. But could you yes. follow up? Uh, again, uh, my understanding is religion as a tool 
So that's tool for war or tool for peace. So that's really up to us. So uh, uh, my uh, my understanding is uh, either non-believer or a believer. That's religion. It doesn't matter. So people uh, develop that uh, material life. Then after that, they have to develop that mental life. So uh, in uh, China, for instance, they emphasize that non-belief and the uh, earlier, they mentioned the, belief, um, uh, the religion as a poison, but uh, later on, uh, you know, lots of different uh, religion and different new religion come out, then they affect the government. So that's just one point they're showing that kind of thing. So that's why uh, I don't think uh, uh, even that's 9-11 and uh, every different sad uh, events, that's not uh, from this uh, Buddhist, uh, uh, I mean, religious perspective, but uh, you know, somebody just using that as a tool to uh, start some different very tragedies or something. So that's why for me, it's no problem. Okay, we have about two minutes to go in the program, so I want to get back to a question that one of our emailers posed earlier, and give you each thirty seconds or so to, to try to answer it. What do you think could be done to increase people's knowledge of religious diversity in our community? Who wants to start that? Yes. Rinpoche? Harmony and uh, more understanding and uh, we – you know, communication and cooperation. Uh, eventually, uh, the – you know, all interface uh, uh, leaders uh, should work together and uh, uh, should bring more peace for the world. All right. Zainab? Um, I would say to to get over that feeling of – Fear. I mean, I'm speaking now from personal experience uh, of, of being willing to walk into a church or into a synagogue, uh, any temple of worship, without feeling any trepidation. Um, mm-hmm. I think people should just visit uh, visit each other, mm-hmm. the way one would go and knock, you know, on the door of a neighbor and say, "Hi, I, I live next door to you." Mm-hmm. All right, Mira. Yeah, I think an openness to asking questions and also to sharing sort of our, our deepest values and um, what moves us in life, where we find meaning. To have have those conversations with a wide array of people has to be broadening. Mm-hmm. And Byron. Oh, I think a program like this is a really good start. <laughs> uh, and I would say, yes, uh, Bloomington has lots of opportunities to participate in interfaith kinds of activities and services and so on and to uh, not to – to take advantage of that would be one one thing and another would be we have an excellent department of religious studies which is often putting on programs that are also accessible to the public and there are other kinds of programs that take place uh, within the community or at the university that also have religion as an important dimension so to take uh, take advantage of all those rich opportunities to learn more. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know about a lot of other communities, but I will say that you know my long time in Bloomington, the the uh, cooperation, the interfaith cooperation in Bloomington has been something to see. If any issues come up, everybody does seem to get together, which mm-hmm. is a, a great thing. So we're out of time. I want to thank our guests today: Zainab Istrabadi, Rabbi Mira Wasserman, Byron Bangert, and Arja Rumpoche. For uh, Mary Catherine Carmichael, who couldn't be with us today, producer Ariana Prothero and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.